This podcast is a production of the Johns Hopkins University Press. To learn more, please visit press.jhu.edu slash journals. Thank you for tuning in to this Johns Hopkins University Press podcast. My name is Brian Shea, and I am the Public Relations and Advertising Coordinator for the JHU Press Journals Division. In a recent issue, the journal Theory and Event published a symposium on the killing of Florida teen Trayvon Martin earlier this year. The articles bring together a group of theorists to examine the ways we are always in the middle of events we endeavor to understand. Neil Roberts served as guest editor for the symposium and joins us to discuss his perspective on the event as well as how the symposium came together. Thank you for joining me today, Neil. Um, first, tell me about how the creation of the symposium came about. Okay. Uh, great. Well, f- before I begin, I just wanted to thank you very much, uh, Brian, for inviting me uh, for this conversation, and I'm delighted to speak with you and your listeners. Uh, in terms of how uh, the Trayvon Martin uh, Symposium came about, it was definitely something that I initially uh, didn't uh, plan on working on or uh, could have um, foreseen uh, last uh, last spring, and so in the wake of uh, 17-year-old uh, Trayvon Martin's uh, shooting in uh, February of 2012, and then the subsequent discourse, much of which was in the United States, but uh, also commentary around uh, the world of this unfolding um, event, uh, really led me to want to have a very serious conversation that actually had two dimensions. The first dimension was a conversation uh, regarding uh, the Trayvon Martin event and the shooting, uh, even though the details of the case are continuing to unfold uh, and are not completely determinate. But the second and the much larger issue, which relates to the venue of theory and event, was really having a very serious and frank conversation intellectually uh, about the status of race and racial discourse uh, in contemporary uh, political theory and philosophy. And so when contemplating whether or not it was feasible to actually not simply have conversations among colleagues and friends or relatives about um, about the Trayvon Martin event, uh, I uh, tried to think in a very short period of time uh, where uh, or what particular venue might be uh, sufficient and or, or put better, uh, an excellent venue to actually have this conversation. Uh, and theory and event uh, immediately came to mind. Uh, in my case, it came to mind specifically because a lot of the leading journals uh, in the English-speaking language that deal with philosophy and political theory, theory and event in particular, uh, has uh, as its mission statement since uh, the 90s when uh, the earliest issues came out, was actually attentive to not simply backward-looking um, events and ideas, but also uh, a large portion of the differing articles in the journal are also dealing with contemporary 
politics or ideas in the contemporary moment, and in particular, theory and event uh, a year or so before that, or several months before that, had done a special supplementary issue on uh, Occupy Wall Street, right. and so uh, it was a issue. It was it was a, uh, an issue that really struck me, even though um, the compared to the Trayvon Martin uh, symposium essays, a lot of the contributions, uh, many were 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 shorter than the ones in the Martin Symposium. It really was organically, in some ways, a lot of the essays came really much in the moment, and I thought they were extremely powerful, and they're still powerful. And so I, uh, even though I'm not even on the editorial board, I'm not a managing editor, I am not an associate editor, uh, but I did, uh, I, I have followed the journal and also uh, a lot of the work of the main editorial collective. And so um, I approached uh, the editors about it, and they were extremely uh, enthusiastic. And so to the, the last big part of the question, which is not only um, how it came about, but then the process of uh, assembling um, contributors, uh, uh, it really was first, you know, seeing if there was uh, enthusiasm about this uh, about this case, and then uh, at that point, then uh, I decided uh, to very much um, try and figure out who might be uh, uh, not only an excellent contributor, but also given the time that there are various uh, scholars who are also in the midst of the semester. Um, uh, when we're talking, by the time this happened, this was literally the last week in March of 2012, going on April for many places, people at spring break, uh, and then depending on if people are in the U.S. or not, there's different timetables. So that was the, uh, I guess to end on that first question, that's really the, the context in which it was happening. And as you know, details even within the day at this moment were shifting constantly so it was definitely you know a navigation between that but it really was something that you know one could actually wait until um, a further date but you know I really thought this is really something that I think we can not only do but do really well uh, and generate further conversation even in the midst of those early early months right well let's jump ahead here then and, and talk about how important it is for a journal like theory and event to react so quickly and not um you know there's still the thoughtfulness and the editorial policies but you're not waiting two years for a paper to get uh to go through the peer review the long peer review process some journals have how important is it to have a nimble journal like this um with with issues such as uh, the Drayvon martin event if you don't mind i just want to actually just read a short section of my introduction to, right to the issue. And so it's a paragraph that I write, and I encourage your readers to uh, look at it again, on the question of time and timeliness. Uh, and so this is what I wrote. Uh, timeliness, uh, timeliness and the temporal surfacing of information can be difficult to navigate for observers of an event whose outcome is indeterminate. The constant flow of updates and the non-verifiable in data make judgment difficult. Nevertheless, the very openness of the situation means that the conversations through which it unfolds both affirm past formulations and augment dispositions towards future outlooks, consciousnesses, and worldviews. For the theorist, awareness of temporality can illuminate backward-looking intuitions when, uh, when time and corresponding vocabularies of expression are not so much out of joint 
as they are in need of comprehension. Uh, and what I wrote was, to follow up, this Martin event form reiterates instead of invents the complexities of race, racism, and racial politics in the American geopolitical landscape. And so what do I mean by that? And also, how does that relate to your question of a journal such as theory and event being uh, in terms of not only their timeline in terms of uh, peer review, but also the publication of ideas, which is, and I guess I do want to back up one second to say that there are still many essays in uh, a journal such as Theory and Event that are um, are ones that have been submitted and go through the review process right, right. and might not, yeah, might not be uh, uh, coming out that as quickly as others. But in terms of the actual topics, uh, if you will, being related to a present moment as opposed to topics uh, simply of the past. Or even in the question of race, one can think of even in American uh, social and political history and philosophical history, one can go back uh, 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 centuries, right? So the question in terms of the urgency, I think it's extremely important because, uh, and it's not something that all journalists need to do, but I think one of the, the beauties and the effectiveness of a fear and event is to say, well, okay, there's certainly... Um, different issues, in this case, questions of race uh, and racism and racial discourse that are not um, new to the present moment, but also isn't there something we can learn about uh, either the reproductions of ideas that either we thought we solved in the past or perhaps we have, to, to, to use another word, disavowed uh, mm -hmm. from the past or even new mutations uh, of ideas and new forms that actually are, are with us today that we don't have a vocabulary, vocabulary uh, for. Going back to the Occupy Wall Street example, some people think that Occupy Wall Street uh, ushered in a completely new form of the idea of a social and political movement. Others have said that perhaps it is the return of something that we haven't thought of. And I think in the question of the Trayvon Martin event, uh, one of the things that myself and the contributors make a, a very strong case for it, even though our approaches or even some of our positions uh, do not align, is that uh, this is not a case uh, of something that emerged in 2012 for the first time. It actually is a, uh, an unfortunate reminder of something that has been uh, quotidian to uh, American life in the modern world. And, uh, and so that is actually... Um, getting back to this notion of, well, what is the value of, of, of journals such as Theory and Event, but not only Theory and mm -hmm. Event, taking on these types of questions to the present day, I think it's really to say, okay, well, both for academics and intellectuals, but also a lay audience, how do we actually make our, our ideas um, matter, uh, have an everyday effect and everyday tangibility and palpability right and 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 that's and and again it's about kind of mission statement that need not be and in many cases shouldn't be the focus of different journals but i think that um uh, that this is what's really important is to note that there are um there there are real values in actually trying to tackle ideas that are uh that are in the present moment but also being clear i call it the asterisk right mm -hmm. an asterisk to a topic which is to say that there's certain things that perhaps one can immediately uh, solve versus um, saying, okay, well, if we actually have commentary and very rigorous commentary on something that is either in our current time or unfolding, knowing that it, that that our answers might are not foreclosed, but that they are very they're conjectures, they're very strong conjectures, 
but conjectures nonetheless, that still has um, that still has uh, has great value. And so I think that's um, the strength of both theory and event, but also beyond theory and event, that's the strength of uh, you know of of journals that do that. And I really ho hope in the future that more uh, of the flagship journals uh, will actually consider being able to be attentive to uh, such work, regardless of the, the topic. Right. And now you've already used the phrase several times, but you you like you refer to what happened as the Trayvon Martin event, focusing yeah. on the word event. How, why is that word so important to your view, and why you know how did that whole uh, thought process come about? For me, uh, an event, and this, I just want to be clear uh, to you and also to the listeners, an event for me differs from a tragedy. Because the first thing I, I heard, and I'm sure you heard, and your listeners heard, uh, as soon as news of uh, the Trayvon Martin shooting occurred, uh, was the word tragedy, right? This right, is such a... Right. Tragedy. Even those who still, right now, as the case unfold, as 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 the details unfold, um, have uh, have contrast individuals who have contrasting opinions on uh, on what uh, she or he thinks happened. Um, still, the word tragedy came about, and um, upon reflection, I, I I came to think that you know I don't believe that tragedy is the best word. So for me, an event differs from a tragedy because. A tragedy entails uh, a plot, uh, a set of actions, uh, and a conclusion, often foreclosed and backward-looking, whereas an event, in, in my estimation, uh, is an occurrence that uh, is mutually reinforced by past actions uh, and future outlooks, conversations, and prognostications on what we must do to decipher its meaning uh, and its wake, and in this sense, the shooting of of, of Trayvon Martin uh, is no uh, no different, including the other details regarding not just Martin but also uh, the question of racial discourse. And so that event tragedy distinction, I think, is very important. And in that way, getting back to the question of time and temporality, uh, if we actually juxtapose those notions together uh, of an event with this question of time that it then allows us to say, well, even if we have some data that's verifiable and other data that's non-verifiable or unknown, we can actually still um, learn from what, uh, what has happened and then try to think about, A, whether this is something that has recurred in the past, or B, if this is actually something that, uh, because of its present moment or mutations in what has happened, uh, it then presents us with uh, a set of questions that perhaps we really need to think uh, very differently about. And then, I guess, thirdly, um, tragedy also as intoxicating at the philosophical level mm -hmm. that tragedy can be, whether that is um, uh, tragedy in Greek thought to even one area that I work a lot in Caribbean political thought in the Haitian Revolution. There's such so many so much discourse on uh, the French Revolution of 1789 and the American Revolution of 1776, but the Revolution in Saint Domingue that began in 1791 and ended in 1804. Uh, also, there are many dimensions of it that people say is tragic, but I also think that is a misnomer because it assumes that simply because uh, revolutions might have a beginning and an end, that 
that um, there are dimensions of it that perhaps we either like or do not like, but that it's some, and somehow that, that is supposed to end in the end of the 18th century, the beginning of the 19th, whereas if we look at revolutions uh, in terms of events, then that actually brings uh, something new. And Hannah Arendt, another scholar who I work a lot on and I'm very fond of, uh, who unfortunately had a very um, uh, narrow view of racial politics in the United States, was very prescient in her collection of essays um, between past and future, that phrase of actually thinking about um, time and events mm -hmm. uh, in very uh, in very interesting ways. And also a scholar who of Johns Hopkins, uh, John Pocock, has also thought about things uh, such as questions of political language and time. But I wanted to actually take some of the best elements of those kind of philosophical insights and actually say, well, uh, if we actually think about kind of questions of race uh, in terms of uh, in terms of events uh, and conjunctures, then uh, then that actually offers up uh, a quite uh, amazing set of issues. And also, let's be frank, uh, quite difficult, right? Mm -hmm. um, very thorny issues because uh, we think it's 2012 and, and, and how have we not necessarily solved uh, some problematic, uh, but nonetheless, I think that the event, the event language, despite the intoxicating um, notions of, uh, you know, of tragedy, I think also really offer, it really provides a, uh, at the epistemological level, at the question of knowledge, uh, uh, something really fascinating that, that I myself, um, uh, working on this symposium uh, and seeing the, the the process of the different contributions uh, have really come to appreciate uh, even even more. Right, and and obviously, like you said, it, it was very. Uh, there was a lot of discussion. There was a flashpoint. So, how was the process of getting other people to write about this? It was so so high in many people's minds. But like you said, scholars with busy schedules. What was the process like of getting people to commit to something in such a short time frame? <laughs> yeah. So, um, I tend to um, at the at the beginning. I teach at at, at Williams uh, College mm -hmm. in Western Massachusetts, and so whenever I begin the academic year. I have, in terms of my teaching, I have something I call the hourglass philosophy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so if one thinks of an hourglass where the sands are, you know, there's um, the, the, at the beginning when there might be sand that's full and then all of a sudden the sand has to be funneled from the wide area to the narrow area and the sand's dropping. Your time is short, right? right? Because if we're thinking at the end of, in terms of this symposium, this was the end of March, beginning of April, and in terms of actually being able to get something uh, out, which it turned out ended up being the end of August, to not only have the essays written, but also peer-reviewed and revised, um, that meant on my end, uh, not only trying to think about who might be the uh, most appropriate scholars, the most, if, if one had a magic wand, the kind of the most mm -hmm. ideal scholars, but also be attentive to uh, questions of, of production in times of having to compose the essays, but also compose them in such a, uh, a high quality. And last but not least, the biggest one was um, what if, given this time frame, a lot of people <laughs> write, write the same thing? I mean, oh, I really right, mean that yeah. generally, uh, which was a, which quite frankly was a concern. So in terms of the process, uh, the the, um, uh, the main editorial board, um, the editors. Uh, Jody Dean and David A. Panega, and also the review editor James Martell, 
uh, were great in terms of uh, giving me uh, leverage to be able to uh, kind of uh, contact the individuals who uh, who I thought would be ideal. So really, I, de I decided to think about a, a few things. One, uh, who are some of the kind of leading um, both senior scholars as well as kind of up-and-coming uh, junior scholars uh, in uh, who are working in the areas of kind of philosophy and political theory, even if housed in various departments or programs or spaces. Right. Uh, and then, and then, secondly, um, to then think about okay, well, um, some people, some individuals might be specialists in other questions of race or racial discourse. There are others who are not, but then there are those who might be working at the intersections. In this case, uh, for instance, our opening. Um, uh, essay by Anna uh, Marie Smith of Cornell University is really at the intersections of not only race and political theory, but also uh, political philosophy and the law. Right, right. there. Is, so there was. I also was trying to think of okay, well, how can we actually get individuals who can comment very competently and astutely about uh, the Martin event, but also um, for the purposes of the symposium, bring into uh, focus more clearly questions of race and racial discourse, and then have as a third lever or axis, if you will, um, work that actually grows out of what has become to either define their scholarship to a known world or actually is beginning for junior scholars, beginning to actually define uh, themselves. And people who I think, if uh, readers don't know who they are, I think they really uh, should be paying attention to their overall work. And then the, la the, the, the uh, I did, in terms of the hourglass philosophy, have a... Um, uh, what initially was a more defined l length in terms of what I was imagining uh, would be the uh, the article contributions, but but the the biggest gamble, and it was a gamble, was to decide did I want to specifically to what turned out to be minus myself eight uh, contributors, uh, and say okay I know what X contributors specializations are. I want you to write an article on this, right? Martin plus write your specialization. Right. And I actually didn't do that, and it could have been uh, a gamble. And it turned out in, in an amazing way that, um, that, that there actually uh, was not radical overlap, or even in many cases, some people, none. But what I did, I decided to do on my own end, which was the contributors then wrote their essays and sent them to me, and I eventually then clustered the articles in what I thought was the most um, uh, useful way for the reader. So that's right. why, and I talk about it in the introduction, why I clustered them in terms of three clusters to have different um, focuses, even though the contributors themselves did not write them with that in mind. And so that's how I, in terms of the production process, that's how it, that's how it happened. And so uh, we really uh, ended up getting, uh, in terms of Anna Marie Smith, uh, Ann Norton of the University of Pennsylvania, Michael Hanchard, who's at, uh, at Johns Hopkins, your mm -hmm. institution, uh, Stephen Marshall uh, at UT Austin, uh, Ange Marie Hancock at USC, uh, Mark Reinhardt, who is a colleague at, at Williams College, uh, Christopher LeBron, who's at Yale University, and George Sicarello uh, Meher, who's at uh, Drexel. Uh, and so this is that's really the process. Uh, one uh, last thing I'll say is that, of course, in the, the short time span, um, one wishes that you could have had even a broader conversation, and so there are other scholars and writers who um, who I was in conversation with, with the hopes that even though it wasn't a part of the symposium, that to actually urge, to really urge people to teach the essays in the symposium, to actually write mm -hmm. contributions 
of their own and actually encourage other people to do the same, whether it's formally writing or whether it's, uh, you know, in, you know, in, in conversations or forums. And so that, so as a out, as an um, outgrowth of the actual process of putting these essays together, it has already started and I'm hoping it will continue to actually generate um, conversations uh, that, uh, that, because even now in terms of the, the uh, in terms of going back to the Martin event, there's still, it's still at a particular stage um, that uh, that there will be um, not only more details but also hopefully more um, you know more reflection. So that's if that made any sense. That was really the kind of the, the nutshells or the nuts and bolts of the um, uh, of how things were were assembled. But um, given the also both time, but also to really have people who I I think not only extremely highly of, but also quite frankly have learned even through what they what they wrote. Uh, about um, uh, about the kind of the, the themes of in the symposium, right? Maybe you mentioned your introduction a couple of times, and just to to tie this yeah. thing together, to talk about in in your introduction, you you mentioned there's no collective will when talking about racial reconciliation. It's mm -hmm. to use a quote from you: a heterogeneous <laughs> collectivity of persons. How mm -hmm. important is it for people to realize this distinction that that it's not you know one group who can solve this? We're not all one. That there there is everybody in themselves. How important is that to find there's there's no one single solution? Yeah. Well, within that, the the philosophically inclined will notice not only a reference to uh, another figure who I work a lot on, uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, uh, and the idea of the general will, which uh, which is Speaking of intoxicating in the 18th century was both intoxicating for many in terms of questions of unanimity, right? Mm -hmm. But also, <laughs> as Edmund Burke probably would have said and repeated, uh, was also something of great frustration uh, for those who may have or and may still feel that the quest for certain ideas or ways of life might must have a unitary, a unifying, right, mm -hmm. or a, 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 a singular path. And so I actually take a, a middle ground between, on the one pole, the move towards generality that has a kind of single consciousness, single ideas, and uh, and the other extreme, uh, which is uh, loose forms of heterogeneity that might not necessarily be as targeted and to say when we're talking about race uh, and especially when we're talking about race uh, in the United States which uh, as Alexi de Tocqueville so brilliantly noted um, at times was something that was part and parcel of uh, the founding uh, of the US Republic there needs to be uh, in such a heated set of discourses and a heated issue, a variety of uh, a variety of opinions on on on, uh, on what uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, once famously wrote with a book title, right? Where do we go? Where do we go from here? Right, right. It, how do how do we actually how do we actually move forward when there seems to not be consensus? And so, in order to do that, and 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 I and I appreciate you mentioning that the the really where the introduction ends, which is not an ending, but really an invitation, mm -hmm. uh, which is to say that that we all, you, myself, your listeners, readers, everyone needs to actually be able to have uh, not only simply a conversation, because 
uh, one knows that it, 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 there were many great successes during President Bill Clinton's administration, and one of the things that President Clinton did, though I don't note this in the introduction, was actually talking about right, having a commission right, to actually study questions of race uh, in the U.S., mm -hmm. and was headed by the late great um, historian John Hope Franklin. Uh, but out of that, there are many people who said, okay, this was great to actually have this commission to talk about, to, to come together and do things. But then the question was, after the commission was assembled, then it was, well, what, what kind of program, did, does there need to be a program? Is it, is, is, should there be some singular document that, um, that says, okay, now go out and adopt this? And, and I think it sparked uh, you know, a great set of conversations, but, but I think that it still left some individuals thinking that either there was one path to racial reconciliation that either you agreed with or that you did not, uh, and then it almost put for others put things uh, the clock backwards in terms of well whether if you did if you disagreed with that then it almost reset the clock to then say well you know um, I don't know that was or that was not helpful uh, and what I'm suggesting is actually to say that we need those commissions we need the conversations we need people and this is not about um, privileging the written word over the spoken word, but we need those who are, um, uh, who are, uh, who writing might be one medium to uh, put forth ideas for all of us to do this. And it's extremely, it's, it's extremely important. Uh, and this is why journals, not solely theory and event, but, but, but journals such as theory and event that actually really do have, uh, have an audience uh, in a certain way for us all to, uh, for us all to actually tackle, um, tackle not, not tackle the issue of, of, of race, to have actual discourse, and through that, to see the ways in which racial discourse um, intersects with questions of, of gender mm -hmm. and sexuality. As one of our contributors talks about, or, or one or two, the question of democracy. How do we actually think about the concept of a democracy? That these are actually that that in order, in other words, to think about um, race uh, in the United States, uh, both philosophically and phenomenologically, actually um, uh, it gets us to actually thinking about other important um, issues for our, for our time between past and future. And so that's what I mean by the passage that you, that you cited, that it's not about having a, uh, a singular, you know, it's not about having a singular answer, but hopefully through those conversations, at the level of programmatic, at the programmatic level, out of those conversations uh, or deliberations, um, perhaps there can emerge what not, might not be the singular kind of path, but a suggestive, I would probably use the word suggestive, um, a suggestive path, uh, path forward. And if this symposium can spark that in readers, uh, just that, then I will have considered it a uh, a success uh, and I really welcome people to to uh, not not to push aside the Martin event because I think this is a this is going to be a, this is going to be an event in this case that mm -hmm. is is going to be it's, it's it's going to be in the news rightfully so and so I don't want to uh, give it a secondary importance I definitely want people to um, to to really follow this uh, and really have an internal conversation with oneself and also with others, but also that broader, that second issue, the, the broader, the meta issue uh, of of race. That race should not just be epiphenomenal, not just something that is, uh, in, you know, secondary to 
um, other other topics that it's 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 central. And I think if we if we do that, then I, I think at the level of ideas, but also at the programmatic level, then um, it'll benefit us all. And, uh, and and that's what I'm. That's what I hope. One can only hope, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and so, uh, but I, I tend to be a pretty positive person. Maybe sometimes naively, but I, I tend to be a, a believer. So I think that that is um, where I mean, what Obama would say. Hope probably the twin dual words of campaign 2008 were hope and change. Uh, I don't know if I would use those two words, but I would. But I definitely would say that um, uh, across the um, uh, the political spectrum, the level of ideas that uh, that being at least hopeful, the first pillar can then perhaps lead to a more suggestive uh, path. And if there is not change, then perhaps that is not because it's simply an event that is completely new, but perhaps it's something that we have disavowed and buried because of the nature of what it actually reveals about the everyday. And I think that is the more um, uh, it can be the most scary, but also the most rewarding confrontation with the real that that we could that we could do, and uh, and so that's what I'm that's what I'm my optimistic self would say. That's what I'm hoping this has done. Well, that's great. It it, it is a really fascinating um, fascinating issue of the journal. A great way to to jump into something feet first, and and to, like you say, continue the discourse. Uh, take a look forward and back. And I really appreciate you taking some time to join us today, Neil. Yes, and thank you, Brian, for uh, inviting me. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Johns Hopkins University Press podcast. Please visit press.jhu.edu slash journals for more information.